Thanks for checking out the Awaken Church podcast. Awaken Church messages are brought to you by our generous givers and partners. You can learn more about the vision or give financially to support the work God is doing here at Awaken by visiting our website, awakenchurch.cc. If you can't make one of our weekly worship services, you can always watch online by going to our website and clicking on the Watch tab. And now, wherever you're joining us from, thanks for listening, and we hope this message encourages you. Isn't it good to be in church today? It's already been a powerful service, even if I didn't say anything uh, over the next 30 minutes or so. Hey, I was in a conversation this past week uh, with a friend of mine at Home Depot who reminded me that every single Sunday, though they have not been able to make it back in person uh, due to having a, a newborn, they watch every Sunday and worship with us online. So can we just, we can, can we take a moment and just welcome those who are worshiping with us online today? We were all there at one point, right? So uh, for those of you who've made it back in person, uh, welcome to church. And I was, I was reading a study this past week, a Gallup poll, a Gallup study. Gallup is not a Christian organization, uh, but they, they put out a study uh, that was actually researching the mental health of America in light of everything that's going on in 2020 with uh, the coronavirus and lockdowns or restrictions. Um, they just wanted to ask how people were doing in, in, in regards to mental health. And it was incredibly interesting because obviously as a pastor, I paid attention to this statistic. But of everyone polled, uh, and they measured their, their health and well-being, mental health, from November 2019 to November 2020. And they asked different demographics, different incomes, different genders in different parts of the country. The one common characteristic of people who said they were doing better with mental health in 2020 than 2019, the one common characteristic, the only positive increase on the entire study were those who attend a religious service once a week. And I began to think about that and think about it in my own life and the impact that being away from church, um, even though we were worshiping online, uh, the impact that being back, obviously, with people and in person over the last couple of months has had on me, it's been staggering. Um, the, the emotional well-being and the mental health. And so what I want to encourage, by the way, we believe God designed us for this, um, that this isn't something we just like wake up and choose, but that God put in our DNA a desire to have real relationships with other people. Um, yes, relationship with him, but also relationships with other people that spiritually can build us up and emotionally support us. And so I want to encourage you as, as Christmas is upon us and we look next week to Christmas at Awaken, um, I want to encourage a lot of you, if you will, to shift 30 minutes to 11.30. For some of y'all, that won't be a problem because you get here by 11.21 anyway. Um, but, but if you'll just embrace that 11.30 time slot, um, and we're, we're encouraging those who typically come at 9.15 to come at 8.30. We want to make space at 10 o'clock, obviously, as we meet, trying to continue um, keeping certain protocols in place to make everyone as comfortable as possible. But um, if you could choose one of those extremes, 8.30 or 11.30, that would be incredible. But let me encourage you to invite somebody to come with you. Because what science says, which is the Gallup study, is that that invite, it may just, it may just save their life. Uh, I know mental health is a very serious issue. Um, and many in this church at times have struggled with depression uh, or anxiety. And um, I just believe that God gave us a community called the church to help support us in times like this and uh, make us a whole lot better as individuals. Amen? Amen. 
It's life to the fullest that Jesus describes. So I want to jump into the Christmas story, Luke chapter two, if you have your Bibles. Last week, uh, I preached out of Genesis and essentially uh, the whole point of the message was to help us see that Jesus was not, um, Jesus wasn't sent as some response to our sin or some reaction to our rebellion. Uh, it was God's plan A from the very beginning to send Jesus so that he could save us from our sins and he could be the pathway to relationship for us to be in relationship with God. And today what I want to do is talk a little bit about the details of the story of Christmas because I just believe that sometimes we breeze past this time of year or we breeze past the Christmas story. Anybody like read the Christmas story as a family? You sit around the tree or campfire or not campfire. That's kind of weird. Um, (laughs) But maybe the fireplace and you like open up the Bible and somebody reads it. Does anybody besides me do that? Great, I'm officially awkward, okay? Um, but Luke chapter two, there's, there's all these details laid out around the Christmas story. And I think one of the, the things that Christmas does for me, especially this year, is put things in perspective that, that God can still work in the midst of the crazy and in the middle of the confusing. Uh, and he can use people that we never thought imaginable to accomplish some incredible purposes. And uh, I, wanna, I wanna read the story for us out of Luke chapter two, verses one through seven, and then break it down. Verse 1, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. And he went to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, or engaged, And she was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. The time came for her to give birth. There was no place for them in the inn. Uh, If you got your Bibles, just underline that the time came or highlight that or figure out a way to um, reference that back at the end of this message. The title of the sermon today um, is that the details definitely matter. The details definitely matter. Anybody a detailed person in the house? You like details? I have to have them. All right, it's kind of like an OCD thing. If I'm gonna get an invitation, I don't care if it's dinner or a Christmas party, it might even be just lunch. Who, what, where, when, why? Copy? Who, like, who's going to be there? Because honestly, that may determine if I even come, right? Oh, you're a pastor. You're supposed to, listen, I got a filter too. And the wrong people there, I'm not showing up, okay? Who's going to be there, right? What are we doing? All right, I want to know what the details are so I can dress appropriately, right? Come on, ladies. Y'all want to know what to put on? And it's not just y'all, by the way. I got, a, I got an invitation to a wedding a couple years ago. Um, and I called him out in the first service. It's Chris Singleton. A lot of y'all know Chris. Chris has preached from this platform before. When he and Mariana were getting married, uh, Lifetime decided they were going to put it on their, basically Lifetime through the wedding. And uh, he was like, hey, you want to, you know, you're invited. I'd love for you to come. And I'm like, oh, snap. Ashley's like, yeah, baby, we're going to be on TV. And the, the invitation was black tie optional. Which, listen, we don't go to a lot of black tie optional stuff. Some of y'all are like, oh, what's the big deal? You don't either. But... It, it basically was like, what, what do we wear to a black tie option? Do I need a tux? Do I not need a tux? Like if I don't wear a tux and everybody else is in tux and I feel like I don't really know what I'm doing, but if I get a tux and nobody else is, 
It's like I hadn't been there before. You know what I'm saying? Uh, for her, I need a new dress. I'm like, babe, you don't need a new dress. You got plenty of dresses. No, this is an opportunity, sweetheart. I got to order something. And, you know, floral link, sequin dress. And long story short, and I, and I need to give this disclaimer because Chris reached out to me after the first service. He didn't come up with the dress code. The producers did. There's your disclaimer, Chris. Um, but I'm sitting here like, what do I put on? Just give, just tell me what to wear. I need the details, right? Who, what, where, where are we meeting at? What are we doing? What time do I need to be there? Right? When? Right? Anybody late in the house? We got late people? You and me start calling names? I see it every week. Right? <laughs> now I'm glad you're here. We're not judging. Just wish you'd step it up in the area of excellence a little bit, you know? <laughs> Some people just always late, right? You're all like, yep, yeah, I got that friend. And so when they show up on time, you like applaud them, you know? Don't, don't congratulate somebody for doing what's expected. You know what I'm saying? Be on time. Who, what, where, when, why, and then obviously how. Like, how are things going down? What exactly is taking place? When I look at the Christmas story, here's the deal. There's so many details that I, don't, I, don't, I can't in 35 minutes go through all the details. Um, I mean, the, the birth of Jesus fulfills, I mean, tons of prophecy in the Old Testament. He comes at just the right time. What I want to do is just highlight a couple of the who, what, where, when, why, and how God worked in the Christmas story to show us how he, he is involved in every single detail of our lives. There is nothing that goes on in our lives that catches them by surprise. There's nothing that's accidental. There's there's nothing that just up. I don't believe in just um, in luck. I don't believe in chance. I believe God works in every single detail of every single one of our lives. And maybe you're here and you go, man, that sounds really lofty, but I don't believe it. I hope I can draw it out of this story. Because for me and for you, the good news of the Christmas story is that God wants to work in your life and he wants to use your life for an incredible purpose. I believe that. I believe that. And if you're taking notes, this is what I will invite you to do. Maybe you go, I'm not a note taker. I didn't take notes in school. That's not my thing. Look, put bullet points in your phone, like type it in the notepad of your phone if you don't have a pen and paper. Uh, this may be something you could reference back at some point. But I, I want to draw out a couple details from this story that I believe really matter. And the first one is this, if you are taking notes, it's the fact that God will use anybody. God will use anybody he wants to do what he wants. When you look at the story, we just read about Mary and Joseph. And if I could just speak to the teenagers real quick, you know that, that God in, in his grand plan decides, I want the mother of my son to be a teenage virgin. Like she's not even married yet. I, I, wanna, I want to, a teenage virgin to be the mother of Jesus. Now, none of us would have made that choice, right? We probably would have looked out and gone, okay, I need to find me a stable couple that has good jobs, Maybe she's a, you know, she may be a stay-at-home, I don't know, she needs enough margin to care for Jesus, that's debt-free, that lives in the right neighborhood, that will be set up for success so Jesus can have a nice little upbringing. If we were God, that's probably what we would have done. God says, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give my son to, to Mary. And, and his dad, his earthly dad, is going to be Joseph, a blue-collar, hard-working carpenter, worked with mason, worked with stone. They weren't poor. Right? Like a lot of people, oh, Jesus was just poor. You know, chances are Joseph made a really good living. Like, you know, he wasn't wealthy, but probably middle class from a lowly town in Nazareth. Y'all, Nazareth was from a community, a community people just kind of forgot about. It was an unspoken town. The whole Old Testament, you don't even hear the name Nazareth mentioned at all. 
right? It's kind of like the modern day Roundo or Cottageville. You know what I'm saying? If that offended you, we'll give you gas money to get home. That's a long way out, okay? But it, you, don't, you don't talk about cottage, like Cottageville, you know? It's out there. That's what Nazareth was. Nazareth was kind of this uh, rejected, outcast, small town outside of Bethlehem that, that no one really paid attention to. This is who God chooses and the place God chooses to let Jesus be born. A girl who had no standing really in society. A man, Joseph, who, you know, he was a Jewish man. He went to, to, to church. He went to the temple. But he wasn't, you know, a, a rabbi. He wasn't someone that had this religious resume. He, he was just average. He was ordinary. And I love the fact that God just chose to use ordinary people for an extraordinary purpose. I think about the shepherds. When Jesus is born, an angel appears to the shepherds and says, essentially, follow the star like Jesus is born today. And what do they do? They, they go. The shepherds were outcasts. They, these guys weren't even allowed to go to the temple because they were deemed unclean because they worked with animals. They were unclean. And so they couldn't even go to church. They were seen as just those guys out there. They struggled relationally. They weren't really a, a part of the community. The community used them for the animals they could raise and, and sacrifice, but they had no part really in society. These are the people that not only brought about but witnessed the birth of Jesus. And when you look at the Bible, you look at the story, the Old Testament, the New Testament, all the way through it, God used people that you and I probably wouldn't choose uh, if we were trying to bring about the salvation or redemption of the world. I mean, for instance, like Emily a couple weeks ago uh, stood up here and talked to us about Moses. Y'all, Moses had a speech impediment and a murder on his record. But God chose him to lead uh, about two million Israelites out of Egypt. I think about Noah. Yes, Noah built an ark, but Noah was also a drunk. I think about Jonah, right? God says, hey, I want you to go to this people group and tell them about me. And Jonah looks at God and says, no, and literally runs the other way, right? Not happening. Or Elijah, Elijah the prophet, dealt with depression, had suicidal thoughts. They're recorded in scripture. I think about Rahab. She was a prostitute. Like, known for being promiscuous, but God used her to hide the spies that eventually uh, the walls of Jericho would come tumbling down. Think about Samson. Samson was a womanizer. God chose to use him anyway. I think about the disciples. Peter, Peter who, you know, yes, he walked on water, but he also denied Jesus three times. The disciples themselves, they couldn't even pray without falling asleep when Jesus needed him in the Garden of Gethsemane. Like, I, I know that when we look at Scripture sometimes, we go, well, yeah, God used those people. He can't use me. And you think somehow whatever you bring to the table is too much for God to actually use or that you don't have uh, the religious resume or the credentials for God to use you. The truth is what you bring to the table doesn't matter because when you get to the table, the man who owns the table, he will commission you and equip you to do whatever it is that he wants done. Right. In fact, in fact, the Bible says that any righteousness we do have. So for those of you who are here, they're like, yep, I got baptized at seven, been a deacon in the church, know the whole Bible. God would would look back at you and go, all that righteousness is like filthy rags. So don't brag on what you can do. Just boast in what I've done. That's, That's what Jesus says to us. The story of scripture, the story of Christmas is about God reaching down into Mary's life, into Joseph's life, into the shepherd's life, into Nazareth and going, I'm going to choose these people because when it's all said and done and and they respond in obedience and say, I'm available, only I can get all the glory because it makes no sense at all. But if you want to be used by God, this is what I want to say to you this morning. 
If, if you want God to work in your life and you want to be used by God, your response, your response to God has to be the same as Mary. Like Mary, listen, she wouldn't have chosen this for herself when an angel uh, appeared to her and told her, hey, you're going to be uh, pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Okay, little, little sex ad real quick for the room. Joseph wasn't the daddy of Jesus. The Holy Spirit put that child inside of Mary. And so now Mary is pregnant carrying a child that is not Joseph's, right? This is a, these are circumstances that are very hard to navigate. For instance, if you were 18 years old, and let's say you were engaged to be married and you went to your husband and were like, I'm pregnant, but it's the Lord's child. Y'all, that ain't gonna work out real well, you know what I'm saying? This had never happened before. Sometimes we read the story and we're like, oh yeah, that's a cute, that's a great story. This had never happened before. So Joseph, in the story, what did Joseph do? Joseph was like, cool, Mary, I'm out. And he made the decision, the Bible says he made the decision to divorce her quietly because he didn't want to disgrace her. Basically, what I think is that he loved Mary and he decided to divorce her quietly because if he did so publicly, she could be put to death. Like by law, what she did, adultery, perceived adultery, was punishable by death. And so Joseph decides, you know what, I'm just going to, let's just let this thing fade out. Like, I don't want to do this. And then he goes to sleep one night, and in his sleep, in a dream, God speaks to Joseph, and he tells him, hey, the baby inside of Mary is, in fact, Jesus. And I need you to, to raise that child. And Joseph wakes up from his dream, and he was resolved to be the earthly father of Jesus. Now, we don't talk about Joseph a lot, but the truth is, There's a lot to be said for someone just being faithful without their name in the lights, right? There's not a, like you read the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you don't really find a lot about Joseph. You would think, well, why didn't Jesus' dad talk about that much? You know, a lot of scholars believe by the time Jesus started his ministry, Joseph had already passed away. But what you have here is a man who said, look, these circumstances are not ideal, but I will accept and be obedient to what God has put in My lap is my assignment. And this man raised Jesus, taught him the trade of carpentry, worked with him day in and day out, took him to the temple. We find Jesus at 12 getting uh, lost at the temple while he's teaching the scriptures with all the scribes. It's his dad who took him there. And if I can speak for a moment to all the dads in the room, look, one of our greatest responsibilities as fathers is to disciple our kids, teach them, raise them in the faith. And it may not get celebrated, Nobody may post about it, but the truth is it may be the greatest investment you actually make. That was the role of Joseph in the life of Jesus. Amen. Y'all can golf clap it if you want, but that's reality. And Mary, Mary's response, listen. Mary Mary just responds back with this. She says, I'm the Lord's servant. So everything that was just said, let it be. Just let it be. I wonder how much different our lives would be when things got difficult, when things happened that we didn't understand, when things came our way that we didn't necessarily want, if we just say, God, you're in control, let it be. Just let it be. I trust you. I trust you. I'm going to be obedient with the assignment that you've given me. That was Mary's response. See, God will use anybody who is available and obedient when God calls them. Those are the people that God uses. You don't need a platform. You don't need popularity. You don't need a microphone. You don't need influence. All you need is to be in a place of availability before God and obedience when he gives something to you. 
That's the people that God uses. He's used them all throughout scripture and he still uses people like that today. God will use anybody. The second thing I want to point out from this story is God will use anything. He will use anything, any circumstance. Here's a nugget that I have learned in 2020. There's a lot of things, you know, I could write them down, things that God's shown me or, uh, at, you know, I'll reflect back one day and go, oh, this is what stood out in 2020. Here's one of them. Our circumstances do not cripple God. You believe that? Like, no matter what challenges we face, no matter what happens in America or in Charleston or at your business or in your family or even interpersonally, your circumstances, our circumstances, don't cripple God's ability to work. Now, there may be some things that cripple us, right? Like, you may go through a season of depression or anxiety. I mentioned mental health earlier. And that's real. It's real to get up and go, I don't feel like getting out of bed this morning. Or it's real to experience self-doubt or to have such low self-esteem that you can't hold a job or you can't have a viable or a vital relationship in your life. But that while you may be crippled by your anxiety or depression, guess what? God's not crippled by it. And he can still move and work through it. And I've watched that happen in my own life and in the life of others. God's not crippled by the stock market. Y'all realize that, right? Like the ebb and flow of the stock market, like, oh, economy's good in America. Oh, well, God's on the move. God's on the move when, there, when there's no money at all, right? And you look back at 2020 and you go, well, well, how can I prove that this year? Listen, I could get testimony after testimony on this platform of how God's provided for you, sustained you, carried you, counseled you, right? Like protected you. Think about it. Think of all that we can celebrate God doing this year. And if we need more proof, like, God, I need you, I need you to do something else. I need, I need you to show me that you're real. I need you to show me that you're powerful. Y'all, we need to wake up and realize that everything that we have, all the blessings that we already have are from him and for him. And God's already moved in a powerful way. Amen. God can use anything. And the circumstances of this story and, and forgive me if this is elementary for some of you and you already know the story. But the circumstances of, of Mary's pregnancy, Jesus' birth, and even the days after, they're not ideal by any stretch of the imagination. For a 17 or 18-year-old girl, and that's old by some standards. Some scholars believe she was 14 or 15. But for a, a, a girl that age to get pregnant by the Holy Spirit, to have to have that conversation with Joseph, for Joseph to say, you know what, I'm still going to be faithful, I'm still going to marry you. And then at about nine months of pregnancy, the, the emperor, Caesar Augustus, says, uh, hey, I'm issuing a census, everybody's got to be registered in their hometown. Here's a, a nine-month pregnant teenage girl with, with Joseph, and they've got to get on a donkey or walk 90 miles to Bethlehem, because they're in Nazareth. By the way, the census would be like this. All of us are in Charleston. It would be like the president saying, hey, y'all all need to go to the state capitol and, and make sure we have an account of who you are. You got to go register for a census. Back then, they didn't have all the notifications on the smartphones like we had this year, right? You couldn't be like, oh, I'm good. I'm alive. You had to travel, go and be registered. So Caesar Augustus was like, I want to know how many people are in my empire. Go to your state capitol, get registered. So Joseph and Mary, they travel 90 miles Right, that's like here to Columbia, South Carolina. They travel 90 miles by donkey or foot to this city. And when they get to the city, there's so many people there, there's nowhere to stay. Right? They try Airbnb, it's booked. Right? They start a holiday in, right? 
booked. Then you just work your way down from there. Super 8 is booked. Red Roof, booked. Landmark, booked. All right, we got nowhere to go. And so they knock on this hotel. And I just imagine a desperate Joseph going, man, is there any way? You see her. Is there any way for us to, any place for us to stay tonight? Well, yeah, you can stay out back. Like, there's a shelter out back. It's, it's where the animals are kept. And, and here's your friendly reminder. It was not some beautiful, perfectly constructed A-frame like you have on your mantle. I've been to Bethlehem. I've seen it. You don't see a lot of those around. But what you do see is caves carved out of the side of mountains. And that's where shepherds would herd their sheep. Most scholars would tell you that, that in the side of a mountain, no light, tucked away, is, is where Jesus was, was born in a feeding trough called a manger. As you can imagine, I mean, just imagine like a dad and a mom and they're about to have their child and they're in there with animals and here's this manger and it's dusty and it's dirty and this is so contrary to how we prepare to bring a child into the world today. But this is how Jesus was born, into inconvenience, into disruption. Almost like if you were alive in those days, you wouldn't even notice it was happening. And I read this and I'm going, man, in my life sometimes I feel obscure. I feel like things aren't the way that I wanted. These are not the circumstances I would have wished for. This is not the situation I had planned. But y'all, God can move in those situations. That's the story of Jesus. And when he's born, listen, this is what's crazy. We, we sometimes stop the story there and we're like, oh, Jesus, beautiful in a manger, silent night, holy night, right? We forget that there was an evil king, Herod who heard about this king that was being born. He was threatened in power. So King Herod decides, I want every male child two years and younger to be killed. So as if traveling to Bethlehem wasn't hard enough, now Joseph and Mary have to decide, what do we do? Because we can't allow Jesus to be killed. And so they go on the run and they flee the country and they go to Egypt. So now they're refugees in another country trying to protect the life of their newborn son because they have an evil king in place. This is the circumstances and scenario surrounding Jesus, not only birth, but also his his young upbringing as a child. So I know sometimes life gets tough and circumstances get difficult. But when we're carrying out God's purposes, he's going to protect us. It may not always look pretty. But God is in charge and God's in control and we can trust him. God will use anything necessary to bring about his purposes. And the third thing I want to draw out real quick is that God is always on time. God is not that late friend that we talked about, right? God, God always moves at exactly the right time. There's a couple things I want to point out that if you take spiritually less... And you're like, wait a minute, it's a pastor. He's about to remove things spiritually. I want to, I sometimes it's like, well, that's what the Bible teaches. Give me some historical fact. Give me, give me some, if, if I wasn't a Christian, what would justify Jesus being born at the time that he did? I want to list out seven things real quick. And you can go research this on your own if you'd like. But seven indicators around the time Jesus was born that, that most scholars say that's the perfect time. Because had Jesus been born a couple hundred years earlier or a hundred years later, Things would look very different for his arrival. But seven things that really emphasize this was the perfect time for Jesus to be born. Galatians 4 says this. Galatians 4 says, when the right time came, 
when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law, and God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. At just the right time, what was that timing? Here's seven things. Number one, for the first time in history, there was a universal language. The first time in in modern civilization history, there was a universal language. Alexander the Great, back in 300 BC, established a universal language amongst all the nations that was Greek. It's what the New Testament was written in, the Greek Aramaic. And so what that meant was, no matter where you lived at the time on earth, someone, if not you, spoke Greek, either fluently or was enough to decipher it. The reason being, there was global trade taking place, there was business taking place, there was education happening. And you go, why is that important? Well, if we're trying to get the word out about Jesus, it helps that there's a universal language so everybody could know. That was the first time. In 300 BC, Alexander the Great established it. And at the time Jesus was born, around 5 BC, it was in place. Second thing is this, because of Roman rule, there was a unified government, unified law and government. So really for the first time in history, there was this law that everybody abided by. Here's why that matters. There was order, there was rule and there was order. Yes, the Roman empire was very uh, ungodly, it was cruel, but what it did was it would provide a structured society that Jesus could be born into. In other words, he wasn't born into a country that was you know, hostile and being attacked by other nations. There was peace in the land, and Jesus is born into a place where there's peace. There was infrastructure, number three, infrastructure for trade and for travel. There were roads. We take roads for granted around here, right? We just drive down I-26 or Highway 61. There was a time when there weren't established roadways. Well, under the Roman government, they established roadways for travel and for trade. Here's why it matters. Whenever uh, Jesus is going to Judea or he's going through Samaria, there's established roads, like civilization. Uh, when Paul is on his missionary journeys in the New Testament, there's roadways already established, societies taking place. This meant the travel to and from, even from Nazareth to Bethlehem for Joseph and Mary. It was a way to get around. This had not happened previously. But when Jesus is born, there's this infrastructure that's already in place. Number four, the period of time that he was born into, a 300-year period called Pax Romana. What that means is there was peace in Rome. In other words, imagine Jesus being born in, I don't know, into, into uh, Jerusalem during the Babylonian uh, invasion. Imagine Jesus being born and then the, the country being overtaken by another country. Y'all, there was peace in the land. And what that means is that Jesus now had a place to establish his ministry and plant the early church where it could actually uh, thrive and flourish. Number five, religion at the time and philosophy at the time had failed the people. The people were desperate for something new. All these idols, idolatry of philosophy had failed. Even the Jews themselves were in a place of desperation where for 400 years they'd been praying for this promised Messiah, this king that was going to come and set up a rule and reign and help them overtake the Romans. Number six, that expectancy of the Jewish Messiah for them to have a king by force And then number seven, and we blaze past it uh, in verse one, but the census that was issued by Caesar Augustus was the first one in human history. So God used the arrogance of this emperor who said, I want to know who all is in my empire. He issued this census. And here's why that's important. When Jesus is born, it's the fulfillment of tons of Old Testament prophecy. And in Micah chapter five, verse two, which is in the Old Testament, 800 years before Jesus is born, 
God speaks through a prophet named Micah. And this is what he says in Micah 5 two. But you, O Bethlehem, Bethlehem being the city where Jesus was born. But you, O Bethlehem, you who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you, from Bethlehem, shall come forth for me, one who is ruler in Israel. God calls it 800 years before Jesus' birth that in Bethlehem there will be one who is born who's going to be the ruler of Jesus or ruler of Israel. Now we know that to be Jesus. Here's the problem: Jesus is with uh, in Mary's stomach in Nazareth. How do we get Nazareth? How do we get him from Nazareth to Bethlehem? There's one way, and the only way is there's going to be a census where you have to go to your hometown to register. Joseph's hometown was Bethlehem. And so he traveled the 90 miles to register for the census. And it was at the right time, Galatians 4 said, the time came for that child to be born. And his name was Jesus. It fulfills this prophecy from 800 years prior. Now, I know the Bible can get confusing. But I love it when God calls his own shot. And we go, there's no other way for it to happen but this way. The timing was perfect. Now, I know there's times in our lives, listen, where you go through things, you go through struggles. Maybe it's in relationships, maybe in your marriage, maybe with your kids, maybe at your job, maybe with friendships, maybe struggles you're dealing with physically or even emotionally, where the timing goes, man, the timing of this sucks. Can I just encourage you to trust God even when the timing doesn't make sense? Trust that he's in control. Trust it's not on accident. And just surrender what you would want to have happen to him. Now, listen. I like control. I'm a type A, eight. I'm a type A personality. I'm an eight on the Enneagram. What that, if, for those of y'all that don't know what that means, it means I'll kick a door open to get my way, all right? And, and, and I don't like when things happen, like, I don't like surprises. Some of you are like, that's weird. You throw me a surprise birthday party, I'm probably gonna get upset. It's weird, I know it's weird. I don't like surprises. And so when things happen in life sometimes, it's like, well, I didn't see that coming. It can cause frustration. It's in those moments I have to recognize God's God, I'm not. He's in control, I'm not. Right? And, and, and for those of you that may struggle in that same arena, this year has been quite a struggle because it wasn't what we had expected. I was reminded this past week that uh, I opened up 2020 with a series. Anybody remember the, the sermon series we started the year with? Best year ever. <laughs> it's on YouTube. You can go find it. <laughs> I think I'm going to start 2021 with just reset. <laughs> Let's run it back. Uh, listen, 2020, it's been, a, it's been a weird year. But here's what I know. Here's what I know. All of it's been with purpose. God was not caught by surprise. And he, he's used it in some incredible ways. And for some of us, we haven't even seen the end result of some of the things God started doing in our lives. But our call is to trust him and let him do his part, right? Trust God. So God's always on time. Lastly is this, God always has a why. He always has a why. Let me read this for you out of the New Living Translation. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. All things. That in all things, God is working things together for good. Doesn't mean they'll feel good. Doesn't mean they'll look good. But it means they are good. And according to not our purpose, but his purpose for our lives. And when I look at Mary, I look at Joseph, I look at the story of Christmas, the purpose of why the king of kings was born into a cradle in the dirt was one, I believe, to identify with us in our humanity 
but ultimately to show us how to live. To me, it's interesting. You got King Herod, who's so threatened by this baby that he ordered the killing of all these kids. But that very king is literally laying in a horse's trough in a manger. One king that's trying to get to the top and the other one that said, if you want to get to the top, you got to get to the bottom. You, you serve. The way, the way to the top is through serving, is through loving, is through sacrificing. And we know the end of the story. We sing about it every single week, right? The end of the story is that, that kid in a, in a manger ends up on a cross. And Jesus died on a cross for your sins and mine. He was placed in a tomb, as Haley said earlier, and he rose from the dead. The purpose, the why behind Jesus coming ultimately was to die. It's the ultimate paradox. Jesus was born to die. But how many of y'all know he's not dead? Jesus is alive. He's alive. And, And when you think about Christmas and the why behind the story, it's a reminder for every single one of us that God's at work in our lives. But we have to give him our lives. We have to trust him with our lives. Just like Mary had a response, here I am. Just like Joseph had a response, Lord, as you will. Just like the shepherds had a response, we'll go find Jesus. We all have a response to God's purpose in our lives. And until you respond, I promise you this, you will wander around wondering why was I created? What am I here for? And do I have any purpose whatsoever? But when you step into that purpose in Galatians 4, let me read it to you again. That God sent his son to buy freedom for us so that he could adopt us as his very own children. God sent Jesus so that you could be his son and you could be his daughter. God sent Jesus to have a relationship with you. And the ultimate invitation at Christmas is this. Give your life to Jesus. There is no greater example of his love for you than him sending his son so that you could have a way to be in relationship with God. There is no way to the father except through the son. So this Christmas, no matter what situation you find yourself, no matter what circumstance you see yourself in, no matter what why you're coming to grips with, let me encourage you with this. God knows what he's doing. He's always on time and he's wanting to use you for his purposes. Let me pray for us. God, we love you today and I praise you for the story of Christmas. Thank you for sending Jesus into this world. While all the details don't make a lot of sense to us, God, what you showed us is that you're at work in those very details. Yes, in the story, but also in our lives. And God, my prayer this morning for your church, for everyone within the sound of my voice, is that they would surrender their will to yours, respond in obedience to whatever you're calling them to do. And God, pray that you would just expand our ideas of what you could actually do in and through our lives. In the same way that Mary responded, so it be, In the same way that Joseph responded, let it be, and you use them in an incredible way. God, I pray that we would be the same way, that we would let you have control of our lives and that you would do immeasurably more than anything we could ever ask or imagine. Lord, we love you, we praise you, we thank you. And all God's people said, amen.